welcome to this week's Yep Yeah Yes with Tamika and Marissa. I'm Marissa, and hopefully I can get my point across without going on a tangent today. Tamika, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. How's uh? I know we went radio silent on on my behest um, for the last two weeks, but I wanted to uh, get on this week and talk about some stuff. But how have these last two weeks been for you? They've been fine. You know, just a lot of reflection, a lot of revelations, yeah. as in the Bible, uh, mm-hmm. personally and societally. That's a word. Right. Right. Um, you know. And I know that there's a lot. Of- there's a lot of stuff going on, um, but I wanted to touch on something because I've been reading like um, a little bit of theory. Oh, are you gonna say what the topic is or are you gonna go into it? I'm gonna do that right now. <laughs> Lady Antebellum and how hard she's worked. Not Lady Antebellum, the band. White women in America and their role as it has progressed from uh, antebellum times to present day. Let me go on my long diatribe so you get the idea of where I want this conversation to go. Okay. Okay. During uh, pre-Civil War, during slave times, women actually were allowed to buy and sell slaves. I'm not sure many people know that. That was actually one of the few investment commodities that they could actually not only keep after they got married, they can continue to do. They weren't allowed to hold property and they weren't allowed to really have true investments, but slave investments they were allowed to have. And as part of the conglomerate of a marriage, yes, the proceeds do go into the the family fund, but before that, that's the one thing that they could do. I don't think many people know that, but there is the theory um, that is attributed to women, white women, during this time to say they were not as passive as history has declared it to be. And why I want to talk about that from back then to now is um, I believe, it is my personal opinion, that once we're faced or like asked to talk about something that has been negative in our life, either A, we go balls to the wall, that's it, we're sticking to it, or we readjust and and do better. I don't believe white women have been called to the carpet on their role in society, or I'll say white identifying Anglo-Americans, their role in society, race relations, intereducation with, um, I'll say race and prejudice in America. Hear me out. during antebellum, because they were able, that was the one commodity that they were able to have. There is actually an amazing book, um, and Harriet Jones is actually a former slave, um, is actually quoted in this book. And the book is Incidents of the Life of a Slave Girl. And they talked about the role of white women. Do you, what? The, do you have the title of the book? That was the book, Incidents oh. in the Life of a Slave Girl. Oh, okay, okay. And Harriet Jacobs was quoted in this book because she's a former slave. And it talks about the sexually exploiting slaves was a means of compensating for the lack of power in other aspects of their life. That's kind of like the gist of that book. And they talk about the sexual exploitation of white women to, to slaves, to black slaves, uh, white women and how they sexually exploited slaves for actually more benefit. There's another um, um, theory where when men looked at uh, slave trade, they usually did not take anyone that was pregnant. They tried to get as many women as possible because obviously, but um, they didn't really look too much at pregnant women, too many women, unless they needed something like in a domestic capacity. Women, actually, when they went, because they looked at long-term investments, women went to these slave auctions and they could get babies for free, pregnant women at a very, very low cost because they were considered a liability. Now, if you have a baby and you took, have take multiple babies for free at, a, at, a, at an auction, 
and you took them home and you saw the long-term investment, I just kind of want to get that idea of ruminating and we'll talk about that later. Um, I, want, I want to kind of look at the economic impact of that and then we're gonna talk about how that translates to today. I know you're looking at me like, bitch, hurry up. I'm like trying to follow. I have no idea what you're doing. I'm trying, but I know. The, the I role know. of white women in slave trade, economic independence, because they were not really allowed to own property, but that's something that they were actually allowed to own. Now, white women were actually gifted slaves as babies they had something called a prenup, but it wasn't a prenup. It was, it was a different word used where they were able to, when they got married, they were able to keep their slaves as their property. It was an agreement of marriage, even though they got, uh, husbands got all the assets and, and the name was changed. That's why, um, like Mr. and Mrs. And then the name, it's mostly the man's name. So everything got changed except for whatever um, slave assets they had entering into. Most, not all, not everyone had these sort of agreements because um, only women helped other women with these agreements. Men really didn't get involved in these. So not every woman had them. So it's not very common, but it's something that did happen. So um, when we're looking at the role of white women in slave and slave trade, and I want, I want to have a ground basis of why it was so important for them for slavery to continue. They weren't as passive as we think in history. Now, when you have um, multiple women- passive, by the way. Perhaps you didn't, and you're one of the few people. I do think that history is not written um, depicting how heavy hand of a role white women angle white identifying women have had in the role of, of, of race relations and history. I think it's more like they're just a passive bystander and they have no say in what's going on, but they, they, did, they had a higher say than, than most people realize. Um, so now when we look at, um, so Fior Scott in 1970, his words, not mine, women were seen as physically and intellectually inferior to men but much more pious and pure moral. So now when we take that implication into the antebellum role that white women had in the history of slavery in America, I want us to remember that when we have sexual exploitation of white women to men and children and other women in the slave um, antebellum US history, we don't really write and we don't really have too much history on it because they were seen more as um, Christian, pious, and it was the man's fault on what they were doing. It was the slave's fault on what they were doing. So while we have history to say that male owners having children out of wedlock and sexually exploiting these other women, even men, during this time, we don't have as much history as women. Right. I believe because of that, white identifying Anglo-American women have not been called to the carpet on the heavy hand that they've had in race relations history in America. And because of that, we currently are dealing with what, what I will identify as the Karens of the world. Because of that, <laughs> I am saying the Karens of the world still have had a heavy hand in race relations in America. So we have, um, what, what will I call it? Um, we have a barbecue Becky, right? A white woman in a park who should be minding her own business while people are having a picnic and she's calling the cops because they're having a picnic at a designated picnic area. We have, um, what was her name? Uh, uh, water, what, how was it? Water Wendy? I can't remember. The woman who called the police for not having a permit on a little girl selling water so she could have money to go to Disneyland. Right. We have Central Park Karen, um, I believe her name was Amy Cooper, um, called on a man, Christian Cooper, no relation, because he asked her in the park area to put her dog on a leash, which the dogs need to be on a leash. Right. Not only that, in the video, 
she changes the cadence and the, and her voice to show that she is scared. And there's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a black man, he's here. And she knows that she recognized her, her, her Anglo white identifying um, personality to vilify an American black man. Right. So I set the stage, I belong with the diatribe. <laughs> what have you gotten out of all this? That the mic, you're, sta you're so staticky. I mean, I can understand everything you're saying, so don't take it that way, but you should probably get a headphone. So we can have a real, like people can really understand without focusing on the static. You know what I'm saying? And while Marissa's going to get a headphone, I completely understand what she's saying and, and the uh, path that she took to get to the Karen because it's a cyclical thing in our society. It's something that we do in Marissa's, Marissa's back. She should be on in a second. Can, can you hear me, Marissa? I can hear you perfect. Okay, say, say like three or four sentences. Uh, I believe nope, that's in the same static. It's okay. So you can keep them on, <laughs> keep the headphones on or get rid of them. I can still understand everything you're saying. It's just like every time you talk, it's like a staticky thing, but whatever. But what I was saying is that I fully follow your, your path and how you got from uh, slavery to present day Karen. It's basically the same thing. I always think about how um, in movies and such, the white woman is portrayed as a victim, but not the victim. Like she's sleeping with the black slave, you know, and then she has a baby. It's like, oh my God, how'd that happen? And she's like, oh my God, he raped me. You know, it turns it, it started out like, oh, I love you. And, you know, whatever, bullshit. And then ends up being, and, and they probably grew up together. They probably were raised on, on the plant, <coughs> plantation together as little kids, grew up and the lines are blurred because love doesn't see a color. But however, people will determine what should be considered love and what shouldn't and ultimately make decisions based on what their opinions are about it. And so you take that to, to now, where we have the Karens of the world who are, you know, their personal space is being infiltrated by a world of people that they don't approve of, people telling them no, you know? And so it's the same shit, it's cyclical. And so Karen, to me, <laughs> embodies the Lady Antebellum that you began this uh, teaching with. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> I wasn't teaching. I was just trying to set the stage. I'm long-winded. We discussed this already. But so, but he, and here's my thing. I think this is why, and, and this is what's the what's a beautiful part of this whole movement that's happening right now that uh, we're finally calling, which I believe is the last component. We're calling the last component to the stage to really to really identify and and to change the trajectory of home education. So part of part of this theory, um, I wrote notes on it now I can't find which book it's from. Uh, part of this theory, um, oh, from You take from two Burke. weeks off and now you bitches taking notes? <laughs> 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 Shit, you are, you are ill prepared every fucking week. Two weeks off to reflect on Black Lives Matter, the bitch come with cue cards. All right then, continue. I got a lot of shit to say. I believe it. it you, got time. you got time today. <laughs> okay, go I got time. Plenty of time. So in Burke, in a, in in 2007, um, part of the sexual exploitation that they're they're discussing when it comes to white women and minority, um, we'll say men, women, and children. I will say this: it has been discussed men, women, and children. Um, part of, part of the discussion was um, he claimed that men cannot be raped which was um, part of why um, male rape not only went undocumented, it went hidden, um, and it also went unfounded 
once Cream started coming out. So, what? I coughed. Oh, sorry. Stop coughing. So, because of, because of all of this, I believe that this Karen, the Karen syndrome is the last component to changing the trajectory of how we view each other. Because I do believe when, when society still has gender-specific roles, and I get that. While I don't subscribe to them, a lot of people do. And a lot of people still do believe that the, the softer side, the nurturing side, the sit home, stay home, and help educate the kids belongs to a woman. I believe that that component is still, is still very much alive. And while the, the passive female role in the home, we'll talk in a traditional sense, uh, not traditional, because tr the word tradition, I apologize, um, in, in a male-female role, while um, um, the male role um, may say something that could be prejudicial or racial, the passive role of the Karen is allowing that to be instilled into the child. So with that whole ideology, it is my opinion that now this, this movement, the last component of the Karens is really gonna change the trajectory because we're seeing now children understanding and really emotionally and intellectually viewing where these uh, stereotypes and biases don't have a place in society anymore. Um, I believe are they, that- Are children seeing that though? What? How many children are actually seeing that though? what that the karen wait that yeah. prejudicial you, racial yeah, stereotypes yeah, you, you just said the children are seeing that but are the children are how many children are actually see, i mean you a few are, are your children seeing that you know what i mean like and that's rhetorical you don't have to answer that yes or no but yeah there are there are kids that are you know whose parents are like the types where like we have we had mothers who we we could be in the room with them and their friends. And it was like, yeah, they'd be like, just go away. But they didn't mean like disappear to another. They'd just be like, get out of my face, but sit over there. You can watch me drink and, you know, smoke weed or whatever. The, you know what I mean? It's not like they smoked intentionally in front of us, but it was also like, this is what we doing. We out without friends, our family, whatever. You can be in the room. I think now I see more parents. I don't know if it's because the the parents that I'm around, they're more like, get out of here. This is adult conversation. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So I don't know how many kids are actually seeing what's going on. Or I, I mean, are they learning it from their friends and finding out about it from their friends? Or are they actually seeing it, seeing the Karens of the world act inappropriately and then being um, reprimanded in whatever form that might take for that inappropriate behavior? Well, see, that, that, that's a loaded question, because here's the thing. I think it also depends on your age bracket and your, your accessibility, especially to social media. I think those that have access to social media are seeing it. They're firsthand seeing it. There's no way with all these algorithms, and I don't care if you're considered an emo kid, an R&B kid, a hip-hop kid, what, whatever what, it is. What, what, what grade, what age group are you talking? Because are we talking seven and eight-year-olds? Are we talking 12 to 14-year-olds? Because you can't make a joke. I can't get an answer. Huh? I can't get an answer to that because that it, it all depends on... on the nucleus and how they view social media and 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 what they're what at what age they have access to it. Right. I will say from my home, I tend to when my kids ask me my opinions on especially like politics, I tell them flat out I'm not going to give my opinion because you need to learn that I to grow up. Um, I'm actively not giving them left, right, center. I'm giving them when I can. Facts, no opinions, um, when, when available. Otherwise, I tell them flat out, I can't give you my opinion because then it's going to sway how you think. You need to form your own opinion when you know more and learn more and develop more. Um, I, know, I know that other people, like say me, for example, don't do the same thing. And so because of your, your um, the decision as a parent to not sway them in that manner, they, they, they then seek those answers from other people and begin to form those opinions based on the opinions and ideas of other people. 
See, I don't see them actively looking for those opinions that I don't give them answers to. I, act, I, I it's my personal opinion. I, maybe you have, because I know you have conversations with my kids on, on such a friendly maternal level as well. So I, don't, I personally don't see them actively looking for that. Um, whenever someone I believe within their trajectory says something that I believe is inappropriate, I will actively say to them, this is their opinion and this is why their opinion is that way or an assumptive opinion, why right. it's this way. Other people believe that way. It's up to you when you learn and grow more for you to decide which way you want to go. You don't need to make that opinion right now. Just look at the person that's saying it and how, how, what, what weight does that opinion have for you at the moment? And then I, I try to put them there. But every house is different. Every, 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 every way people get gather information is very, very different. Some people get their news from podcasts. And they, you know, they just don't know. And that could be a one-sided opinion. Or, or unfortunately, Twitter. That's where they get all their news. <laughs> well, honestly, I like, listen, I'm one of those who gets a lot of news from Twitter. Well, um, it's, no, it's okay to get news from Twitter. But when you relegate yourself to one form of information, and then, mm -hmm. and all of the people that you follow are all like-minded, they both feel the same way, they all, that's a problem. So that's, 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 that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, but, see, and this is, but this is what's so beautiful about this whole movement right now is the fact that we're calling what I believe is the last component to help really help make this situation so much better. We have, we have never really looked at American weakness. And the reason I call it American weakness is because I'm not living in another country. But I do believe that Karen is an American weakness. I believe that they are fulfilling um, a certain part of society that has yet to grow. While, while we have instances where Anglo-American white identifying males um, and the occasional minority man um, fulfills these certain roles where they say, um, there was a YouTube video, and I don't even know where I got it from. It was so outrageous that I couldn't even like continue to watch it where it talked about um, there's IQs of races, and they only identified four. And it was Anglo-American, um, Asian, Hispanic, Black. And the highest IQ goes to Anglo-American, um, second Asians, Hispanics and Blacks, and we need Anglo-Americans to be in positions of power to help those of us on the bottom two levels of, of IQ because we don't know any better. We don't know how to make our neighborhoods and our, our life better. So we need those that are in, in the higher form IQ to do things for us and to think for us. That, that, that way of thinking is, is probably never going to go away. It's never going to subside. Um, and honestly, we, we, as a society, we're always going to need this, um, a viewpoint of, I, I don't know if you want to say ignorance or just a, an otherworldly viewpoint in order to realize that the viewpoint you may have is actually that you're doing the right thing. You always need a buffer, something, you know what I mean? It's like when you're playing, when you're, when you're bowling, when you start, when you first learn how to bowl, or even if just you're an adult, you have gutter balls, you have those lines so that you know where you're leaning. You know what I mean? Because if you just throw the ball, you're like, oh, hopefully it goes the right way. But in life, you need different sides. You need things to tell you, to, show, to make sure, to keep you in line, to make you realize that, yes, this is the right path, Going towards that way, eh, not so much. Going towards this way, not so much. For whatever reason that might be. I, I agree with you on some level. I just don't think it needs to be so outrageous. No, I but, don't think but it helps. Like that out. Female brains are 30% are smaller than men's, and that's why we can't hold positions of power. But there's another study that shows that uh, women in positions of uh, in companies that that are in CEO and COO and CFO positions, higher positions of management, they outperform their male counterparts. 
So this is I don't know. The, the, one of the I believe one of the reasons why black people as much as we have always been held down under the proverbial knee of society um the people that are basically holding us down and preventing us from succeeding are actually helping us in a way because they're showing us how resilient of a people we are you know at, even though you know we have so much more to go as society as a as a black society you think about when we first came to this country when we first dragged here in chains in the bottom of boats ships to where we are now you know what i mean yes we have a lot to do a lot more work to do but if it wasn't for those people holding us down constantly we wouldn't be able to show how resilient of a people we are how well we are able to galvanize these protests yeah you know we got tons of nationalities ethnicities all fighting <laughs> fighting alongside us in the midst of a pandemic think about all that has has happened in these last two weeks how much legislation has been passed just because somebody black people's like i had enough i'm tired get this shit done now you know what i mean and so un unless you're constantly being punched in the gut it's like you at some point you just fight back and that's what i like being a black person you, and you see like, damn, we are some resilient motherfuckers. Like you, you keep, there's nothing that you can do that's gonna stop us. But see here, here, but here's my point. Well, this, this, is, this is where I agree, obviously I agree, but I, this is where I wanna bring that last component to light. This is where I'm saying that the, the, the idea of the Karen in America, the last components really help. Because we look at Seneca Village, we look at um, Black Wall Street, we look at all these things um, before redlining, before educational segregation, before all of this. Minorities were prosperous in the United States of America. What ended up happening? White women, Anglo-identifying white women, could not stand that a black man had hierarchy. So right. what did they do? They called to arms. I am so scared, I'm frightened. I can't go into a store with these black women. You need to do something about it. I can't, I can't have a black man in here doing something. I am scared. So what did they do? They called to arms and made sure that red line happened. Seneca Village is gone. Black Wall Street is gone. Um, all these other things came into place. And this is where I'm calling the, the, the Anglo-American white-identifying female of, of America, calling her to the carpet to say, you're the last component, you need to be held accountable, and by no means do I need an apology, but you need to understand that what your role in history was and how, how you had an impact and where you need to go from there. So yes, do I believe minorities are resilient? I think the human spirit is resilient no matter what. I think I think when when we have, it, it's it's one of those things that where there's um, I can't remember what the um what the uh, anthropological theory is where it comes and there was a really great movie with William Dafoe in it and they talked about this. They talked about this theory where um it. it it gives hierarchy. So, and I believe Dave Chappelle did this too in one of his comedy specials. It talks about hierarchy in socio-America subcultures where um, as long as I can identify myself as better than you, even in my poorest state, I'm still, I, I, I'm still doing good. So like we'll take Long Island, Suffolk County as an example. We have Italian Americans who can live in the same neighborhood as us, but because they're not us, they're able to call us spits and spit on us during <laughs> programming. But our W-2s are the same, we live in the same neighborhood, but I'm the, I'm the animal. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I just, I still stand by, you know, black people being resilient. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, you just, you take a step back and you say, damn, like even with the Karens of the world, you know what I mean? The bitch can't hold us down. Mm -hmm. 
she can't. <laughs> I'm friends with Karens. You know what I mean? And mm. you know, I, well, I I'm not arguing against that. I just want I want the last component to be really held accountable, and I want us to be able to move forward. But I don't I don't see. I see a path forward, but I don't see an end. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people are like, we gotta end this racism. The shit ain't gonna just like, like that shit, we gonna live through it for the rest of our lives. Like that's like, we're talking 400 years of systematic system. I see, I always get systemic oppression, you know, systemic racism. It's like that's 400 years of slavery. Now we've only we we've got the right to vote as women in what 40 years. Like, right. Think about that. Like we haven't even been done with all of this. Not even 100 years fully. So it's, it's like you you can't just you know and and in the grand scheme of things, America is a very young country in the form in which it was stolen from the Native Americans. You know. Um, yeah. But it's it's a very young country, and so the idea that we can be progressive enough to eliminate racism. I mean, racism isn't just against black people. We fight in the black fight fight right now, but our Asian brothers and sisters, our, our Spanish brothers and sisters, who we need another day for that because we can't. <laughs> they just, I just, I, I really wish more Spanish people were in the fight for Black Lives Matter. You know what I mean? There are some, but overall, it just don't, it don't feel that way. You know, it's, it is what it is. That's another topic. I could be wrong. That's another topic for another day. But our, our, uh, I, de I definitely America think you're wrong on that. Huh? I, I definitely think you're wrong on that. When it comes to Hispanics, Hispanic and Latinos in, in the Black Lives um, movement, especially, I think you're wrong because I think that there's such a spectrum of, of how we identify and who we are as a people. So just by looking at someone, like you can't really, you can't that's say cool. one way or the other. That, that's exactly what I mean. It's exact, I, I was watching Anna Navarro um, talk about, talk about, um, she's from Nicaragua. See, I didn't want to get into this whole thing, but I'll just say this real quick. She was talking about, you know, she was born in Nicaragua and she's like, you know, I, I wasn't here for the civil rights movement. It didn't move me. So she's like, you think about so many Spanish people that came to main side America. You know what I mean? United States of America from Mexico, wherever they came from. You know what I mean? We can even say, I mean, I know Puerto Rico is part of the United States. I'm not talking about like that. There's people that don't have the same kind of, I would assume, I, I mean, I never lived there, but I can assume that the lifestyle in Puerto Rico is different from the lifestyle in many parts of the United States. States, for God's sakes, there's people in this country that say that they're not American. So can you imagine, I can only imagine how people treat them as disconnected, not part of us. And so how that psyche builds into who they become. You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm kind of saying? Like if people keep saying you're not one of us, there has to be people that believe that. that we're, we're this part, we're, we're this part, we're, we're American, but you know, those people are, are whatever. And then we, we talk about uh, Dominicans. There's, there's Spanish people in Spain, wherever, South America. My point is that what Anna Navarro was saying is that when she came here, it, it was easy to feel a certain way about race relations when her and her, peop, her, her family weren't brought up during the civil rights movement. They didn't get to see that. And they, didn't, they, didn't, they don't have the same kind of attachment to it. Their feeling about this country is post-civil rights movement. You know what I mean? And so it was, it's, it's, it's very, it's something to delve into. I mean, I, I wish she would have talked a little bit more about her experience and, and kind of understand where she's coming from. But I know like, I have a, a stepmother who's Puerto Rican, but she calls herself black. I have a best friend who's Puerto Rican and you don't call yourself black. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's just, it's confusing to me. And so, 
when when I when I talk about you know the the people in this country and galvanizing, <coughs> it's like there's a whole there's levels to this. There's levels to racism. You know, Asian Americans, Indians, uh, what where Russians, whatever whatever country you can, came from, and you're here and you're going through whatever kind of oppression that society is putting on. This is a fight for all of us. You know, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, the fight right now <laughs> starts with Black lives. And from there, you hope that it spreads on and other people will get on the, on the train and, and support. But I don't see that myself. I don't see it as much as I would like to see it from, from the, the Spanish Latin community. Hmm, that's interesting because you touched upon a few different like anthropological theories that I was talking about before. So when it comes to Latin America and and the Hispanic community in within America, that again goes to about the classifications and, and the multiple socio-American thinking as far as like how can how are you better than someone else? But for anyone that's listening and they feel that um, Latinos in America have not had their own movement, I dare you to look into the Young Lords and um, educate yourself on that because that movement, let alone, has really not only helped New York, but has helped a lot of things within the country at large. So um, I, I think the way we identify ourselves is very much akin to, to how we grew up how 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 America speaks to how we self-identify. So if I were to, so I'll put myself on your stepmom as an example. She identifies as black, I identify as Puerto Rican. Here's the thing that kills me. She identifies as, as black and she can speak to her experience. I identify as Puerto Rican, yet when I'm, when I'm speaking on my experience, my words get lost because either I didn't identify enough, you don't identify me as, not you to me, but like as somebody else. That person doesn't identify me as that. So when, you know, when, when, when we talk about the Latin experience, the Latin, Latino and Hispanic experience within America, you know, either we're not enough or we're, we're, too li we're too little or too much or this or that. And, and, and it's, it's, it's such a big spectrum that um, we either get shot down or we don't get It's one of those things that that movement, I think, will change in time. It's just not right now. And I think we need to allow, we need to allow our community who needs the voice right now to continue that voice it's not my it's not the hispanic movement right now it's not the puerto rican movement right now me as a four foot nine light-skinned hispanic is not going to have the same encounter as a 510 black man period it, it's it's the black lives movement right now the hispanic movement will happen later and yeah yeah I definitely agree with you and that's why I was saying with with uh like this behooves all of us this movement is it's about black lives right now but in this country it's it's always the jumping the jumping point you know what I mean the civil rights movement is a jumping point for a whole bunch of other stuff you know the black mm -hmm. lives movement is going to be a jumping point for a whole bunch of other stuff. The problem is, is that people some tend to look back and don't recognize the fact that a lot of the, a lot of the civil liberties that they enjoy today were because of Bloody Sunday. You know what I mean? A lot of people, a lot of non-Black non people don't recognize the fact that a lot of the civil liberties, go ahead Yolanda, you can be on camera and pretend she's messing up my light. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the civil liberties that um, other minorities experience today are purely because of the fight that so many Black Americans fought 
and die for this country. And I don't think they, they get the respect. I mean, everybody's like, yeah, I'm okay. It's like Jesse Jackson was standing right in the balcony next to him and he's still alive. You know what I mean? He's yeah. still here. He yeah. watched that man die. But nobody, I mean, every once in a while he'll show up on a show, but nobody really, this is how I know that if MLK was alive today, do we really believe he'd be getting the love that he's getting now? Jesse Jackson was standing right there with him on that balcony. And he's like a passing, I was like, oh yeah, Jesse Jackson, yeah, Rainbow Coalition. There's no buildings named after him. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't know. It's just, this, this is way past. This is why I said I don't want to talk about this today. We're going back to Karen. K-A-R-E-N. I, 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 listen, I have, I have an agenda. I gave a 45-minute diatribe on what I wanted to talk about. So don't look at me this time. It wasn't me. Karen, is, Karen is cool until she's not. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, is, Karen is the woman in front of us in the, in the line at Starbucks. It's like, oh yeah, go ahead. Then leaves, goes to the park, sees a big black man who's like, oh my God, I'm fearing for my life. Karen is a woman who is our boss at work and tells us you're doing a really good job, but you know, um, we're gonna go with somebody else for the position. Yep. So. It's, it's more than, you know, attacking somebody for playing Spanish music in a public park. Or like you said, selling water, attacking a little girl for selling water in front of her own fucking house. It's more than, you know, patty, barbecue patty, and all, all these people that you mentioned, it's more than that because these people, in those moments they were caught, but then they go back to their lives and they have a direct impact on my life from, from because they're mad. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. That is the last component. And I think history has not done its job to call them to the carpet. And I think this is the exact moment where we're doing this. She is the last component for this, this, this race relations sort of movement and, 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 and just openness. And this is not an attack on white women. I don't want people or white identifying. This is not what I'm saying. Some of them are different people. Some of them. But I say all that to say, you know, this is the last component. I think we need to call it to the carpet, you know. Did you hear about this woman? I'm trying to look for her name. Oh, Barbara Fadita. Have you heard about this woman? She's, she's the Karen that we're speaking about that needs to be called on the carpet. She's been placed on administrative leave. She's the ABC News executive. So apparently she's been using all these microaggression, racist comments um, as, her, as the head of ABC News. Comments that she's, she's said about Robin Roberts, comments that she's said about other, you know, black and minorities, men and women. Um, and so she, uh, I, they did an expose on her. And so ABC put her on administrative leave so they can discuss, you know, what's going on with her. And she was like in charge of like talent acquisition. So hiring and firing of people in the ABC News division. Um, there's m multiple lawsuits that were, were settled um, because of her discriminatory practices. And this is what we're speaking about. This is, this is the Karen that's not in the park. This is, this is the Karen that was in the park and that did what she did, was not filmed, went back to work and continued that same type of behavior. Even with somebody like Robin Roberts as one of the top news anchors in our country and, and saying when Robin asked for a raise, you know what her comment was? It's not like we're asking her to pick cotton. Why should we give her a raise? That's that bullshit. Robin Roberts. See, that's, and that's what I'm 
fall to the carpet. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's the whole point of my entire diatribe, of all the books that I just mentioned to everybody, of all the micro, micro, all of this, all of this is exactly what the hell I was done talking about. You're, you're, all of it. But you got notes. I can't believe you with the notes. I can't. But yeah, Barbara is one of on, on ideas. On I, I really can't believe you have notes. You have real words on there? Yeah, but you what? <laughs> Do you have real words on there? Oh shit. Well, girl, you really were it's like a it's a it's a whoa outline. See, I can't with you. Christian Cooper, Amy Cooper. Bitch is on a talk show. <laughs> I'm ready. You're I am ready. so ready for this talk show. Do me a favor, have that same energy next week. All right. I'm down. We're I'm ready. ready. I, I mean, couples don't even write scripts no more. They type it out and paste it. You wrote it out hand, freehand, scripts. May 2018. <laughs> she ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> you make fun, but you know what though? I guarantee that a few people listening to this actually finally finally heard some American history. You know, they're learning about Central Village, Black Wall Street, the Young Lords. I got you. I got you. So you're welcome. Good job. Good job. <laughs> well, where can they catch us? Well, well, we don't got no trend in this week, or we just like, it's all good? Listen, no. This whole shit is trending. The Karens is the trending. All right, she'll week. Before we well, leave, you got something show everybody trending? my shirt. You got something? Says Kaepernicking. I have no problem with I want to know if that man a job. Wait, what's, what's the guy's name again? Uh, um, uh, is it Goodall? No, who's the guy that, that came with the whole Roger Goodall? Yes, what about him? Oh, I thought it was so. Now, since he did the whole like, we should have listened to our players earlier, say his name, but you can't say his name. Fine, whatever. Um, he ain't getting the job. I mean, Goodell is not going to say Kaepernick's name because at the end of the day, Goodell works for the 32 NFL owners. Like they employ him. He ain't. He makes like 41 can't be him. Huh? You know what? I can. Can I relate somebody quick? Go ahead. Michelle Alexis Ohanian. Oh, yes. Alexis Ohanian. First of all, thank you for being part of the cause. Thank you for being an ally. Thank you for putting your money where your mouth is. I forgot the gentleman who's the first black um, board member because he gave up his seat on Reddit. Um, now they have a first black board member. Um, and I can't remember his name, but um, Alexis Ohanian, that's putting your money where your mouth is. And, and his. And his whole um, reasoning and his whole desire to do better, not only for his daughter, but for us and just for the world, thank you. I'm feeling it. I can't remember the guy's name. I was looking for it online, but, you know, I don't want to spend all day browsing the internet for, for, this, for this guy. But, but you know what, though, though? But I got to say, though, he's got, some, he's got a big weight on his shoulders right now because, like, listen, you've got that chair. Exactly. Well, the guy is already, a, he's a multi-million, he, he is one of Reddit's first um, supporters. You know what I mean? Like, financial. So, But with this, this is like Chris Rock said it best in one of his specials, where Michael Seibel, Michael Seibel, or Seibel, I don't know how you say it. Do you remember that special where, where Chris Rock was making the, the comparison of, like, Black people have to, like, not only climb a, climb a mountain with the boulder on their back to where certain angle white identifying just step over. He goes, I do really, really well. And my neighbor's a dentist. I know. 
I know. Some shit. So he's got he's got a lot of eyes on him and and. Uh, while, while we're on, since, since we don't have a trending, I did want to just bring this up because next week is going to be outdated. But for real, bravo to Dave Chappelle. Although I did see a thing where they said that he never supports black women. I have to look into that. He's always calling them cunt bitches. He didn't say Breonna Taylor was oh, Andy Cohen? Huh? You talking about Andy Cohen? No, no, Dave Chappelle. The Dave Chappelle special. The movie. Okay. I, I was just saying that it was really good. Then I read an article where they were saying it was really good, but he's got a thing with black women. He never, he never, like, he's always calling, first of all, he's always calling women cunts and bitches. He even, um, he respected George Zimmerman enough to call him by his name. You didn't call him asshole or anything like that. This guy, George Zimmerman, and every other woman was cunt or bitch. Didn't mention Breonna Taylor. And that's like, those three are like the holy trinity right now. Ahmad, George, Breonna. You know what I mean? It's like, and so he mentioned the other oh, two. He didn't, he didn't mention her. So it was, it was it's, a, it's an interesting thought, but um, I did want to, you know, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, go on YouTube and watch 846 because it's really, really good. And I wouldn't call it a comedy, but I mean, it was funny at points, but it's like, damn. It was a diatribe. Yeah, it, it that was, was a diatribe. It, it definitely was. It was a good 15 minute diatribe. Intelligent one. Sound like he knew what he was talking about. You know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. That's all I got. Where can they get it? Yep, Where yeah, can they get it? on Instagram and Twitter and the Yep Yeah Yes podcast on Facebook. I was going to say FaceTime. Facebook. <laughs> um, follow us. We got, you know, we got a lot to say. We were mute for two weeks, but we back, bitches. We are back. And with notes. Marissa got her notes. She ready. <laughs> she really ready. <laughs> anyway I love you homie alright I'll talk to you, to you guys next week talk to you in a couple of minutes <laughs> Marissa <laughs> bye y'all <laughs> <laughs>